Hello, and welcome back to Think Yourself Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Barbieri. Before we dive into this episode, I just want to remind you that if you take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram, we'll send you a 15% off discount for the eight-week Retrain Your Brain program. Just take a screenshot and tag me at Heather Barbieri RDN. Thanks for listening, and let's get right to it. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, we have special guest Jeff Chilton. He is a ethnomycology specialist. I'm really excited to have you here today, Jeff, to talk about all things mushrooms. So can you introduce yourself to the audience and tell them what qualifies you to speak about this? Sure. Well, I was born in the Pacific Northwest, grew up in Seattle. What are we known for here? Lots of rain. <laughs> what that means is we have really the perfect climate for mushrooms and other fungi. So mushrooms were all around me growing up. I was able to get out and do um, wild mushroom hunting, which is really fun because it's like a treasure hunt. You find an edible mushroom and you're just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Plus, you're out walking around in the woods. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Mm. Um, I, I uh, went to university at University of Washington. This was in the late 60s. Uh, while I, my field of study in university was actually anthropology, but we had a mycology department there. Mycology is the study of fungi. So I took courses in mycology as well. I, I put the two together because there was no department of ethnomycology. So I put the two together and, and because anthropology is the study of, of different ways that people relate to the world. So I, I looked at the use of mushrooms for food, uh, in medicinal use and also in shamanic use. Uh, but what do you do after you get out of university and you've got a degree in anthropology? Well, <laughs> not much. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I went to my mycology professor. I said, you know, I, I'm really kind of interested in growing mushrooms. And he said, well, you know what? There's a mushroom farm 60 miles down the road in Olympia, Washington. Why don't you go down there and talk to the owner? And I did. I ended up getting a job. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. You know, growing mushrooms. What a cool thing. I was there for the next 10 years. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so wow. I, I was so literally really I was literally living with mushrooms during that period of time. And and, and while I was there wow. as well, I was reading everything I could get my hands on in terms of growing mushrooms, in terms of medicinal properties. So so it was just a, a time for me that I mean it was total immersion in mushrooms in the seventies were really kind of an interesting period in that way in so many respects. Mm-hmm. So, you know, speaking to that, so in the 70s, mushrooms had this momentum, and then they just kind of died, and we didn't hear about them. And more recently, we're starting to hear the emerging research around the benefits of mushroom use. So what happened in that time frame, and how did you well, stay employed? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, listen, um, during the 60s, as you know, it was a cultural revolution. So mm -hmm. we were uh, examining different states of consciousness through the use of LSD, through the use of mushrooms. Um, it was really quite an exciting time. And, and during the 70s, that carried on. And at that time, um, for example, if we wanted to learn more about 
um, the mushrooms that were growing down in Mexico, which at the time, that was really kind of the focus in a way. Now, now I also mm-hmm. understood that we had some of these mushrooms growing in the Pacific Northwest, right in Seattle, which was which mm-hmm. was quite interesting. But the focus was was going off to some area where mushrooms were actually being used. And, and this is what was interesting is that there was a New York banker that that had been doing all of this research around the world. Um, his name was uh, R. Gordon Wasson. He published a couple of books on his research and one of them dealt specifically with mushroom use in Mexico. Can you imagine? This is not this is 1950s, 1960s and somebody is all of a sudden coming forward and saying, "Oh, guess what? <laughs> there are actually people in this world that are still using these uh, psychoactive mushrooms in their healing rituals and 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 uh, the curanderas the healers and, you know that that was just like because that idea that knowledge had been lost mm-hmm. nobody mm-hmm. nobody was aware of this going on until he rediscovered it after being alerted to it by a few other botanists who had been down there so it was wow. it was huge uh news and, and there's also things going on in the 60s like i don't know if you're familiar at all with carlos castaneda and the books that he had read mm-hmm. I, I mean written mm-hmm. and all he was talking about his yaki uh, guru down in mexico and the use of uh, certain plants whether it be peyote or mushrooms or so on so so it was a really a, a rich period for that kind of information so there's a lot of people out there that were looking they were going off to mexico i went off to mexico i lived there for a year and a half in the early 70s going back into the mountains looking for these groups that were using the mushrooms using the mushrooms myself when i was in mexico so you know this was what you could call sort of the looking for don juan who was the the yaki indian And, and it's still going on today because people are actually Going down to South America, usually on some kind of a, a tour guided with, you know, some mm-hmm. business that's promoting that. And they're going and having an ayahuasca ceremony. And, and remember, in the 60s, we did not have guides. None. Mm-hmm. It was simply we were figuring it out for ourselves. <laughs> So mm-hmm. it was a lot of experimentation going on in ways that today you'd look at and you'd say, well, that's really out of the bounds of how we might look at it today. But we learned a lot and a lot of information was published mm-hmm. due to that. So during the 70s, you know, especially in the Northwest, there was a lot of people interested in the mushrooms. And and uh, with a few other people, we actually organized some mushroom conferences that brought in some of these uh, people that were doing all of that research. Um, now, now here's what's wow. interesting is that at that time, all during the 70s, people are looking for these things wild. Okay, they're out there. We're mm-hmm. wild crafting these. We have to go and we have to find them. But mm-hmm. um, I, I was learning all about mushroom cultivation. I was working in mushroom cultivation. So uh, in 1983, I co-authored a book called The Mushroom Cultivator, which 
taught people how to grow mushrooms. It was called a practical guide to growing mushrooms at home. Now, wow. all of a sudden, and this was through the late 70s and into the 80s, we could cultivate um, we didn't have to go to Mexico anymore. We didn't. So, so even even in the Pacific Northwest, where you'd have at times you'd be driving down the road and you'd see people out in the fields with their heads down looking for psilocybin mushrooms. Wow! That slowly disappeared, and only a few people carried on with that. But most people went, "Hey, I can now grow these things," and not only that. All of a sudden, you had thousands upon thousands of kilograms of dried psilocybin mushrooms readily available uh, mm -hmm. when before in the 60s uh, and 70s, not nearly as much. You'd have to go out and find them or, or maybe there was a few people growing. But it, so it changed the dynamic totally and and mm -hmm. and in a sense. You know, the other thing you have to remember is that is that the 70s was a period where we really thought prohibition was going to end mm -hmm. because in the in the 60s, they brought in prohibition of, of cannabis, uh, mushrooms, mm -hmm. LSD, all of those things. We thought it was going to end until Ronald Reagan got to be president. And then he had a whole thing of. You know, his war on drugs and, you know, Nixon started that. Right. But I mean, he he brought it on with this mm -hmm. whole thing of just say no. <laughs> yep, I remember I was I, I remember those advertisements on TV. Yeah. So 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 in a sense, you know, a lot of that got driven underground because in the 70s mm -hmm. we had these conferences and and but a lot of this uh, and, and even people, you know, gee, you're out there wildcrafting in plain sight these mushrooms uh if a, a cop came along he could just stop go out in the field and arrest you mm -hmm. so so really you know it was it was a period of of great change and and that's kind of why to some degree you didn't hear as much about mushrooms but um well and, and all, a lot of the a lot of the funding got pulled from the universities during that time frame, especially, you know, starting with Nixon and going through Reagan, a lot of that funding that the researchers had access to got pulled. It was no longer available, so they couldn't continue to do their research in this field. That's, especially that's, that's around absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. Now, nobody was could get a license to do that kind of yeah. research anymore, so, so that really and in slowed my things down. And in my opinion, and, you know, people don't have to agree with me, but I think that this was politically driven in terms of supporting profit for pharmacological, you know, purpose. And you, you, you mean basically pharmas like uh, pharmaceutical, the pharmaceuticals, yeah. big, big pharma, let's call big them. Big pharma. Yeah, big pharma. <laughs> you know, uh, in my opinion, I believe that big pharma had a lot to do with pooling out that funding through lobbying and, and getting, you know, things in order. And so it's really interesting to see, you know, we're having this huge pushback in society now and, and realizing the negative consequences that are associated with all of the pharmacological medications, the pharmaceuticals that we are so utilizing on a regular basis. I specialize in mental health and substance abuse. And so um, this is something very, very near and dear to my heart because I've seen amazing things happen to individuals when they 
start incorporating the adaptogenic you know, herbs from things such as these mushrooms that we're going to talk about and also yep. the benefits of the psilocybin. So I have a question. I watched that documentary on Netflix called Fabulous Fungi. I'm sure you're familiar with it. I am. Okay. So one thing that really got my attention in that documentary was this idea that the whole fungal organism is a bridge between the animal and the plant world. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, well, I think what they're referring to is the fact that we share certain attributes with fungi. Um, okay. Um, we, sh you know, look. There's the the plant kingdom. There's the animal kingdom, and then the fungal kingdom sits right in between. Now, now fungi. Mm -hmm which interestingly enough, and let me just explain, you know, kind of what we're talking about, which is one part of this really huge kingdom. And that would be what we would call perfect fungi. And, you okay. know, as a mushroom grower, think about this for a second. How do you grow mushrooms? Have you ever been to a mushroom farm? I have actually. Um, oh my I, goodness. Yeah. Well, yeah. and so a small I, one or a large one or? No, it was just a small one. But yeah, I was able to get exposed to the whole cultivation process and how that all works. Well, well, see, here's here's what's interesting. Mushrooms do not have seeds. Mm -hmm. So what do we use to start uh, cultivating mushrooms? Well, in, in nature, and of course, mushrooms have spores. These mm -hmm. spores float out. They land on the ground. They land on wood. They land on different organic matter. And when conditions are right, these spores will germinate into a very fine filament called a hypha. And then when multiple of those hyphae fuse together, they will form a network. And that network is called mycelium. And mycelium is the actual body of this fungal organism. We call it the vegetative body of the organism. And we normally don't see it because it's embedded it's, in its substrate. The substrate is what it feeds on. So, okay. so it's underground. We don't see it, it's mm -hmm. underground. Um, we don't see it, it's, it's embedded in that piece of wood where a um, uh, uh, mushroom is growing out of. So, so when conditions are right, which here in the Pacific Northwest is the fall, uh, it starts to rain humidity goes up. There's the key. Humidity goes up. They, they have to have a higher humidity. They don't like mm -hmm. dry conditions. They don't grow well in dry conditions. So, so up goes the humidity, down goes the temperature. Um, up comes this small little thing that starts really small and then goes through multiple stages to produce this mushroom, what we know as a mushroom. And then that mushroom, as it matures, there's gills underneath, or sometimes there are pores, and in those pores or gills, spores are produced, out come the spores. Now we've completed the life cycle of this fungal organism. Now, mm. what in, in the supplement world, we're interested in knowing about, okay, I'm taking the supplement, what part of the plant is it? Uh, if it's ginseng, we want the root. If it's echinacea, we want the flowers. If it's ginkgo, we want the leaves. So there are three plant parts to this organism. There is mycelium, there are spores, and there is the mushroom itself. And each one of those plant parts has certain, uh, let's just say, 
benefits, but what's been used traditionally for food, for medicine, has been the mushroom itself, primarily because, look, you can't dig up the mycelium and then, <laughs> and then gather enough to be useful, right? So right. it's the mushroom, and the mushroom is actually an amazing biofactory creating all sorts of interesting compounds and that's what's traditionally used and that's what in the supplement world we really want to be looking for is we want to be looking for a product that is mushroom based and not not based on mycelium or anything like that the mushroom is really the key here to to the medicinal okay. benefits that's really good to know. That's an interesting distinction because we're seeing these powdered mushrooms popping up everywhere in terms of, you know, uh, options for supplementation. And I myself got sick September 1st of 2021 with uh, severe COVID and I ended up developing the long haulers and going into stage three kidney failure. So after my kidneys declined significantly, I started looking for adaptogenic alternatives, let's just call it holistic alternatives. And sure. one of the things that I came across to help improve kidney function were cordyceps. And so I started incorporating cordyceps into my morning adaptogenic beverage. And then from there, I started to then increase, I started adding lion's mane to help with some of the chronic fatigue and, and brain fog that I was experiencing. And then from there, I added in some reishi and then turkey tail. So right now, I feel like I'm pretty covered in terms of the, uh, you know, as many of those adaptogenic mushroom benefits that I can get for my physiological and uh psychological function. So can we talk a little bit about what are the benefits and then what kind of things do we need to look for when we are purchasing supplements? Yeah. Well, before I do, let me just say one thing because, um, you know, we kind of started out with, with the growing mushrooms and how do we grow them and all. What's the seed? The seed for growing mushrooms is actually live mycelium. <laughs> Oh, yes. So, so, so we're actually growing out that live mycelium on some kind of a carrier, and that's mm -hmm. what we will spread into what we would call the substrate, uh, which is the food that we use to grow a mushroom. So, so it's really interesting because, you know, no, 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 we're not using a, a seed. We're not using a spore. We're using mm -hmm. the, the vegetative body of this organism. For those people who are like, oh, mycelium, okay, I sort of get it. But, well, you can think of it in a way as kind of like the root structure that mm -hmm. it's feeding out there and it's sending its nutrients up to, to this mushroom. And, and okay. here's the, the thing about the mycelium, too, that you have to remember is that it can grow out. It can be out there forever as long as there's still a food source. If it grows out and it, it all of a sudden there's no more food, it stops it dies. So, okay. so you have to remember it's, it's not absolutely perennial in any way. Um, okay. but, but anyway, that's, uh, now, now look, when, when, when we want to, for example, um, and before we get into just benefits and so on, mm -hmm. if we want to, um, supplement with mushrooms, first of all, let me just say this, eat mushrooms, please put mm -hmm. mushrooms into your diet. Mushrooms mm -hmm. are what I call the forgotten food. Um, they're, they're the missing dietary link. Uh, you know, we talk about fungi, how are they similar to us? Well, <clears throat> you know, what's interesting is, is the mycelium when it's growing, it is breathing in oxygen and giving off carbon dioxide. 
just that's... like we do. You see, now that's where they say, oh, yeah. we have similarities, uh, right? Okay, that makes so much sense because it's the opposite of what the plants are doing. Exactly, exactly. It's respirating the same way that we do. The other wow. thing that's interesting is that plants produce starch. That's why we eat a lot of these plants for the energy that we get from that starch. Now, mm -hmm. that can be detrimental sometimes because we eat a potato and all that starch inside, up goes the glucose and down the other side. Right. Fungi, mushrooms do not have starch in them. They do not produce starch. You know what they produce? They produce glycogen as their storage carbohydrate. That's what we produce. That's interesting. So I did you not have know that. These, you have these interesting links between wow. humans, or let's just say animals, and fungi. Oh so, so yeah, this is where it kind of that kind of all fits together. Now, 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 <laughs> now, now, listen. When when we're looking for um, a supplement, for example, now we look at the plant parts. Okay. We have mushroom. We have mycelium spore. They actually they actually use spores in China. Uh, they think they uh, reishi spores. They think they have mm -hmm. some benefits. I, I don't, and a lot of science would would dispute what they're saying. But that's okay. It's a, it's a more of a business than anything else. But okay, if we want a supplement, now for one mycelium, can we use mycelium as a supplement? Well, in China, they actually produce mycelium in very, very large tanks of liquid. It's called liquid fermentation. Mm. And, and, and this mycelium definitely has benefits. Mycelium has benefits. One of the things to remember about this fungal organism that we're talking about is that the important compound in it is called a beta-glucan. The beta-glucan is in the cell wall of this mushroom or in the cell wall of this mycelium. So, so, um, so that's the important compound. That's what gives mushrooms their immunological activity. And if there's any one compound that we want to focus on and measure, for example, well, it's the beta-glucan. That gives us a lot of, of information about a product that we happen to be uh, taking. Now, now, here's the interesting part is that if I want to grow mushrooms in North America, and use them as supplements. Well, well, here's the the issue: I can grow mushrooms for food. I can take my shiitake mushrooms to market. USDA says I'll get three dollars and fifty cents a pound as a grower, as mm -hmm. I put them out in the marketplace, and maybe to you know a, a store which sells them for God only knows how much twelve dollars a right. pound or something. Yes. But um, but if I'm selling mushrooms as a supplement. They're, the supplement's not fresh. It's a dried powder. Mm -hmm. Mushrooms are 90% water. Now, when you dry out that pound of shiitake and you get $3.50, you, you dry it out, 90% water. Now now you have to get $35 for that same pound of Ooh. mushrooms. So, so essentially, the economics of using mushrooms in the supplement space do not work. Absolutely. There are no mushrooms grown in the United States that go into supplements with the exception of maybe like your grower, maybe he supplies a local herbalist and maybe he does it, you know, in a way that they trade or they do something because he's got to get a lot of money. I mean, have you ever gone out and bought some of these specialty mushrooms fresh? I mean, 
God, oh, if you yeah, want fresh just... shiitake or lion's mane or lion's my mane talkie, is what... <laughs> it could it could be yeah it could be fifteen dollars a pound for that oh. fresh lion's mane you know or I'm more. Here. I'm here in Southern California, and at the farmers market, I believe <laughs> that it starts it's somewhere between seventeen ninety nine and twenty one ninety nine for a pound of that lion's mane. Okay, dry that out, and now we're talking about around. Twenty dollars, or, or two, I'm sorry, a hundred and twenty dollars for that yeah. fresh wow. or for that dried lion's mane. It doesn't work. So, wow. uh, as a commercial mushroom grower from way back, I knew this. So, I, I thought in 1989 I started my company uh, to sell beneficial or or functional mushrooms and medicinal mushrooms into the uh, nutritional supplement industry. I knew I couldn't grow those mushrooms to do it. I went to China. I spent the next 10 years there taking trips, mm. uh, visiting uh, research stations, going to conferences, visiting farms, uh, uh, production factories. And in 1997, uh, I went to China with OCIA, which was the one of the major organic certifiers in the U.S. Okay. We did the first organic certification workshop for mushrooms in China, 1997. So, so we grow all of our mushrooms and process them there now. Now, so, so, but okay, let's get back to United States. Now let's get back to what's Mm -hmm. called my, the mycelium. So that, so a lot of people are going, well, mycelium has got benefits too. So we should use that. No problem. If you want to do that, the issue is that in North America, People grow this mycelium on sterilized grain. They then, after a period of 30 to 60 days, they dry it out, grain and all, because you can't separate the mycelium from the grain. They dry it, they grind it to a powder, grain and all, and then they sell it. They call it mushroom. (laughs) Oh, mind blown. Well, and, 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 you know, the, the, the issue is that what, what's all the grain doing in there? If, if you, if you want to sell mycelium, fine, have a hundred percent pure mycelium, sell it. It's got benefits, not as much as the mushroom, but it does have benefits. It has beta glucans, but why are you leaving the grain in there? Because when we test your product, guess what? It's very low in beta-glucans because of all the grain, and it's very high in what we call alpha-glucan, which is starch. So people taking those products are mostly getting grain starch. They don't know it because the label says mushroom, reishi mushroom, shiitake mushroom, and there's a picture of the mushroom on there. They think they're buying a mushroom supplement. I'm, I'm in shock. I have been a fold consumer. I am so, so glad that we're having this conversation and being able to kind of dispel this information to help others because they're spending a lot of money on these powders. So let oh, me ask you. Oh, my God. Yes, so some let, of these products are not cheap. No, so let me ask you this. With this grain that's being added, I mean, in my opinion, this feels like a filler, right, to increase volume weight and be able to – Keep well, well, I, I, margin. I, I consider it not just a filler. I, I consider it a adulterant uh, because, ooh. you know, now look, some of ooh, these companies, <laughs> some of these companies in the fine print 
of their bottle might say myceliated rice, myceliated oats, myceliated, yeah. you know, grain of yeah. some sort. That's in the fine print. People don't pay yeah. attention to that, no. right? Uh, but but if you look at their website, what are they talking about? They're talking about mushrooms, 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 mushrooms. So so wow. um, it's very confusing, and people are taking these products. Uh, you cannot imagine. Uh, we sometimes do a trade show called Paleo FX. Paleo. I've people. been there. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, so you know, and and if you're oh, yeah. into paleo, you're really avoiding grains. And, and, and well, they'll come up that- to me and, and they'll say, oh, mushrooms, I love mushrooms. And I'll say, oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, and they say, I'm taking a great supplement. I'm like, okay, what's the brand? They'll tell me the brand and I'll go, I hate to tell you this, but you're mostly consuming grain starch. Oh, oh my God, well- really? <laughs> it's, it's, you know, and, and it's, it's, yeah, yeah, that's what it's like. That's uh- what it's really like. And, and we, I exposed this. In 2015, I published a white paper called Redefining Medicinal Mushrooms. We have a test. It's called the Megazyme test. We have a test for mushroom beta-glucans, and that test also gives us the amount of alpha-glucan, which are the starches. So Mm -hmm. with this test, I tested 40 different of those type of products off the Internet. I I also uh, measured an actual dried mushroom and some of our mm-hmm. mushroom extracts. I had 95 different samples that I tested. And what I found was mushrooms have 25 to 60% beta-glucan, 5% or under of alpha-glucan, which are the starches or the glycogen. So, okay, picked up a little bit there. These products that were what we call myceliated grain, yeah. they were... Um, on average, somewhere around um, 30 to 40% alpha-glucan, as high as 60% alpha-glucan at time. And uh, the mean average for beta-glucan was about 6%. Oh, my gosh. Some of them had, had 1% beta-glucan, 60% wow. alpha, 1% beta. And, and it's just like the, the amount of mycelium in those products was minuscule compared to the amount of grain. And here's what's interesting about it, Heather, is that what is this product that they're making? Actually, what this product is, is it is a method of manufacturing mushroom spawn. And spawn is what we call the seed, and spawn is basically mycelium, live mycelium on a carrier, one of the major carriers for spawn is grain because in that gallon of grain, you have maybe three or 4,000 individual grains. And each one of those, when you plant, acts like a little seed. And the mycelium jumps off of that and they all go out and they colonize the substrate. So they're just using a process that has been in the mushroom industry since the 1930s. They're using that process, but instead they're taking what we would call grain spawn and they're drying it, grinding to a powder and calling it a mushroom. Uh, Well, I am very disappointed, but so, so grateful that you are sharing this information because this is more vital than ever right now. You know, we know, I personally know how much corruption is in our food industry and our supplement industry. And we consumers just blindly buy thinking that we're protected, that we're getting the best quality. And unfortunately, we're not. 
And so this is so enlightening to share with others so that they can really be empowered on how to choose the proper things to get the, the benefits that we're desiring, the whole purpose of purchasing them. Absolutely right. And, and, and let me just say this as, as, <gasps> as the key. If you're shopping, if it says made in the U.S., forget it. It's, it's, it's one of these it's products. Not. Yeah. Okay. And, and wow. turn it over. Look in, look in the supplements facts panel. And if mm -hmm. in the facts panel it says mycelium, that's what you've got. Even the yep. other ingredients, it says myceliated rice or some other grain, that's what you've got. You, and, and, you know, you can take it, dump it out of the capsule, taste it, taste it. It tastes bland, like, mm -hmm. like, like flour, grain flour. Yeah. I'm, I'm literally mind blown right now because I'm thinking about my adaptogenic morning drink <laughs> and how much starch. No, I, you're going to listen. I'm now this is putting, so I couldn't figure out why I'm burning sugar. I'm like, I should be in carb burn. This does not make any sense to me why I am only burning sugar right now. And you just unlocked the answer. And it's because I'm putting these four different powdered mushrooms into my adaptogenic drink in the morning with my MCT oil. And it's completing negating the whole damn thing. <laughs> well, well, you know what? And, and I, I, I don't ever mention brands, but after the show, we could talk about Yeah. That. Yes. You know, well, but I, don't, already... I don't mention brands. I'm just talking about what's going on out there because unfortunately the, the major companies that are producing these products, they have their own, they have their own retail line, but they also sell, the, the this ingredient to other companies who do not know what they're yeah. getting. Wow. So yeah, the product that I'm using says it's made in USA. So when you started to uncover that, my brain went, oh shit, I'm just consuming something coming from China. It's just a freaking... <laughs> well, you know what? And, and look, a lot of people are, you know, we all want to be a locavore. Mm -hmm. We all want to buy products that support our local economies. And a lot yeah. of people, too, are like, oh, China, I, I would not purchase anything from China or anything like that. But look, it, <laughs> the United States pours millions of tons of chemicals onto their fruit and produce. Right. <laughs> so and their yeah, areas. I mean and if you're not buying organic, you're getting all those chemicals. So, absolutely. you know, it, it is like. Hey, and it doesn't really matter what part of the world. And when we grow our mushrooms, they're back in the mountains in areas, and we test, test, test. Mm -hmm. Before anything leaves China, pesticides, mm -hmm. heavy metals, it's got to meet the standards. Once it comes to the United States, we test again. So we've okay. got well, – we're, we're so deep in testing our products. That makes me feel a little better because what I was envisioning were factories filled with mushrooms being cultivated and them using the sewage water as a way like they do the garlic bulbs to, uh, you know, it grow doesn't, them. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know, and what I well, envision, well, yeah, and what I tell people too is like, would you buy produce that's been produced on the Gulf Coast of the United States where all no. the petrochemical companies work? No, of no. course you wouldn't. Or, or some somewhere where they've got um, uh, uh, factories that are taking minerals and the, fa the mm -hmm. chimneys spewing out all sorts of stuff and polluting the ground and 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 or just the kind of you know look the kind of chemical use uh, and, and where did that really begin in the United States? 
<laughs> and, and we have huge chemical companies that sell these chemicals all over the world. You know, I mean, we stopped using DDT back in the 60s because we saw how harmful it was. They still sell DDT to Mexico. Oh, that's terrible. Well, yeah. So in Mexico, they still use DDT on a number of the crops. So, so you, you think, well, wouldn't they just stop producing it altogether? No, no, no. We're going to keep producing it because we can send it off to the third world, so to speak. And a lot of mm -hmm. that just comes right back to us. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, just, just as an example of that, um, oh, we have this issue with carbon dioxide and so on, and we don't want to burn coal, so we're going to kind of shut down our coal factories. Th that's great. The problem is U.S. and Canada are still mining it like crazy, and what are they doing? They're shipping it to Asia to let them burn it. Hmm. Oh, the systems are so broken. But oh my God! And, and you know the hypocrisy is so deep. Mm -hmm. Oh, it is. It's it's so refreshing to be able to have this conversation and just to have another another opinion from another sector of the broken systems to really bring about the awareness of how broken they actually are. Right. And oh. if, and if we look at the, you know, as fungus, as kind of this bridge between the plants and the animals, we need to fix this system. <laughs> we, we okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So Absolutely. My, my brain is going in so many different directions. So I'm curious now because I just canceled my order for the um, that I literally placed this morning. Okay. <laughs> so now where do I go? What do well, I do I, now? I can I can discuss that too. Okay. Later. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, wow. I am just absolutely mind blown right now. So. So I'm so curious. Um, with the. Literally, you have blown my mind. I am just literally mind blown right now. <laughs> well, it's Chad. too bad you didn't come to our booth at Paleo FX. No <laughs> then kidding. Then you would have learned that years ago. <laughs> right? No kidding. No kidding. No kidding. So, um, so ultimately, an individual like myself who is really motivated to utilize mushrooms to get their medicinal benefits, where do I start? Well, you know what? Um, you know, a lot of times people say, well, if you could just take one mushroom, what would it be? And I actually mm -hmm. say reishi mushroom. Re okay. Reishi is very, very high in beta-glucans, one of the highest. It also has these wonderful compounds called triterpenoids. The triterpenoids are very good for liver function. Um, so you're getting the uh, immunological benefits plus mm -hmm. more, which, which sort of separates it from the other species. So mm -hmm. in that sense, I, I would always uh, recommend. Now, now look, look, one of the things about reishi mushroom is, is if you're getting it just like, you know, sometimes you can buy a pouch of the powder, um, which, is, which is fine. You want to stir it into something. Reishi is really bitter. Okay, <laughs> if you have yeah. a reishi product and, and you're uncertain about it, is this really reishi? Dump it out and taste it. If it tastes bland, you're like, this ain't reishi. No, reishi is bitter. It is as bitter as can be. So I would, I would definitely uh, say... Use reishi mushroom. Um, okay. There are other of these species that are specific. I mean, I would say all of these species are good for immunological potentiation. But then you have something like, say, you were saying cordyceps. Mm -hmm. Okay, cordyceps has been used for um, fatigue, uh, asthenia. S somebody's been in an illness. 
maybe like what you're talking about and and mm -hmm. they're like okay i can't seem to get over this and mm -hmm. it's still lingering in uh, traditional chinese medicine that's where cordyceps would come in um now you know cordyceps is interesting i don't know if you ever seen the wildcrafted cordyceps but wildcrafted cordyceps is actually a oh. caterpillar with a little cordyceps growing out of it no way <laughs> yeah <laughs> It, so, because because these these uh, this genus of fungi they attack uh, insects, and so what happens is this caterpillar uh, goes to hibernate in the winter. It mm -hmm. digs down under the ground, and while it's sleeping in its hibernation, spores of cordyceps germinate and consume the whole inside of the cordyceps of, of the caterpillar, and then in the spring to early summer. Up comes this little cordyceps. It's called in China. It's called winter worm summer grass because the cordyceps looks like a blade of grass, except wow. it's dark. Now, now, you would never be consuming it. Nobody in North America would be consuming it because it's too expensive. Okay. Uh, it it sells for as much as fifteen thousand dollars a dried kilogram. Holy cow! It's probably oh. the most expensive herb in the world. Now, uh, so so. In China, really, nobody really purchases it for their own consumption. They might purchase some as a gift to somebody because it's like so expensive and rare. I'm going to give this gift to wow. somebody. But but what what's happened is that you know I I tried to introduce it into the supplement market in the early 90s, and I had some people look at it and go, Yeah, you know, my, most of my customers are vegetarian. They're not going to eat eat caterpillars. So that was the end of that. Uh. But What's really interesting is that in the last 10 years, we've learned how to cultivate a species that has been used interchangeably called Cordyceps militaris. It's a beautiful orange-shaped, blade-shaped uh, fungus, and we can cultivate it now. So the price is way down. It's affordable. Uh, cultivation. Uh, I love cultivation. I'm a mushroom cultivator. Cultivation mm -hmm. is, is wonderful because you can, in a sense, standardize what you're doing. And you don't have people out there scouring the commons for mm -hmm. these valuable products. While they're at it, they are ripping up the soil. They're yep. creating issues. They're even creating divisions among different harvesting groups. Yep. Wildcraft, I do not like, period. Uh, there's only okay. one. Uh, one of our species that we wildcraft because it can't be cultivated, and that is the chaga. But otherwise, okay. all of what we do. Are, and so cordyceps is a cultivated product. It's not the caterpillar fungus. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, um, it, it also has uh, a good amount of beta-glucan. So a lot of the, the research on it has been uh, the effects of the beta-glucans. And the beta-glucans, you know, immunological potential, but they that filters out to all parts of us and, and how our system reacts to things. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether it's uh, fungal infections or bacterial infections, uh, viral infections, I mean, it's just... And, and, you know, so cordyceps, like you said earlier, too, is they looked at it as a kidney tonic. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely tied to the kidneys. So cordyceps is, is really cool. I, I, I think it's a really great uh, species. Is, is it an easy one to grow on your own at home? Um, if you have the right tools, yes. Okay. 
Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. If, and, if you have and, the right tools, I should send you a copy of my book. <laughs> I, I would love that. You know, so I'm curious if a person is interested in wanting to cultivate some of these mushrooms at home, obviously they're going to have to do research and probably get some training to get started because it's not easy to get those spores going. They're very temperamental, correct? Well, in, in fact, what you do, you wouldn't really uh, have to get spores. What you do is you, a lot of companies out there will be selling spawn. Okay. Of these different mushrooms. And there's bound to be companies that would be selling cordyceps spawn. Okay. Or if not the spawn, they could sell you what we would consider a culture of live mycelium. Mm -hmm. But again, it just depends on whether or not you've got the tools you need to utilize that. I mean, it's just like you could buy a kit mm -hmm. and from that kit, you could grow these. And you could also, if you had the ability, you could also pull some of the mycelium out of the center of the kit, put it onto a Petri plate, grow it out. Now you've got your own culture of cordyceps. But again, mm. to deal with that, you have to have a certain level of equipment to be mm -hmm. able, because it's all sterile culture. Right, right, okay. Wow, so I'm just like, whoa. So, you know, you've discussed reishi, you've discussed the cordyceps. So when it comes to other mushrooms, what are some other really beneficial mushrooms that we can be consuming? Well, I mean, everybody's sort of heard of lion's mane, right? Yeah, yeah. I love it. For me, it's like having a piece of steak. It's so hearty. It's just Oh, oh, lion's mane is so tasty. Mm, oh, my just God. Love it's it. a delicious yeah. mushroom. And, you know, this is why I'm always telling people, before you even supplement, put mushrooms into your diet. Yeah. Not only are they they a wonderful food, I mean, good levels of protein, mostly carbohydrates, but mm -hmm. slow-acting, non-starch carbohydrates. Right. right. Uh, mannitol is a primary uh, carb that they have, trehalose. Mm -hmm. um, uh, low in fat. You know, when I first went to the mushroom farm, the traditional nutritionists in the United States, 1973 said, oh yeah, mushrooms, they're, they're very tasty, but they have no nutritional value. You know why wow. they said that? They said that because mushrooms are low in calories. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that's, <laughs> and that's the thing when it comes to, you know, especially our USDA recommendations in terms of nutritional the food pyramid. Needs. Yeah. Junk, junk, junk. Oh, processed so, foods, right? Yeah. Yeah, just eat. I, I use this my plate back here as an example of how not to eat. Yeah, <laughs> this is not yeah. how we want to eat. Like no, I use this. No, as, no, This is what's getting you fat and sick. This is well, not what is helping you. Well, you know what? And, and this is this is the the elephant in the room, isn't it? And, and this mm -hmm. is something that proved out during COVID as well. The people that had the worst time with it were overweight people, right. and and you know. The unfortunate thing is now they're normalizing that as if this is a good thing. Oh, don't no. don't say anything about that. You know, some people are just like that. No, people eat too much. They're, you know, they're, they mm -hmm. have a terrible diet. They eat in the middle aisles. They well, eat all that processed food. Yeah, and what people don't realize, Jeff, to that point is that these refined processed foods have a negative impact on the interaction with our microbiome, which is so necessary for Absolutely. every single physiological thing that happens metabolic related. 
Yes, indeed. I mean, it it literally is doing nothing for your microbiome, but it's probably doing damage to it. Absolutely. You know, by all these different things that you're putting into your body. I mean, you just look at some of these products at the list of ingredients and you're just, you know, a perfect example. Um, We have a small little shop here in the the small town that I live in that's called uh, Chocolate Tofino. They sell all sorts of chocolate things, but they also sell ice cream. The ice cream that they make maybe has four ingredients. <laughs> but if you ever look at the ice cream list of ingredients in normal ice cream, you're just like, this is not ice cream. No. I don't know We're what eating, it is, but. We have become a chemical <laughs> fed society. Bottom line, we have become a chemical fed society. And unfortunately, these chemicals have addictive properties that they're very aware of, very aware of the interaction and the you know processes that turn on in our brain that contribute to that addiction cycle that we no longer have free will over because the physiology is determining what the need is. And then it interacts with the microbiome and everything that's happening in our gut. And it's just a negative feedback loop that we can't get out of that is destroying the health. Absolutely. And, and what do they want to do now? They're coming out with all of these faux meat products. And, and, you know, you look at those and you go, Oh my God, the ingredients that you're putting in, here's another ultra processed food. Some of them, they're actually using mushroom mycelium, but it hardly matters if all the mm-hmm. rest of the ingredients that you've got in there is just like the, the processed food company's dream. And, and yeah. I look I at mean, those things. Those are genetically modified chemical based options that are absolutely not healthy. If we look at the sodium, if we look at the kind of fat that they're adding into it, it's all the, you know, high inflammatory fats that are uh, creating a lot of free radicals in the body, contributing to disease and destruction of the cell membrane. I mean, we could go on and on, right? Anyone who knows me, anyone who knows me knows that I am not about this plant-based revolution of synthetic foods that they're trying to force down our throats. And with this food shortage that has been manufactured, they're literally trying to drive us in that direction without any kind of choice. As if it's not bad enough when you look at all mm-hmm. the processed foods out there. Right. It's it's really frightening, to be honest with you, at how naive we as consumers have been with just trusting trusting the regulatory processes and what's available to us in the grocery stores. And it's time for us to wake up. It is time for us to wake up and understand that we have a responsibility for our consuming choices that are going to create demand. It's going to create change if enough of us can start taking that responsibility for how we're choosing to put what we're choosing to put in our body and how we're choosing to spend that money. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you know what? I totally agree with that. It's like we have the power. Where are you going to spend that money? And the other thing yes. I'd like to just say here, which is something right out of the 60s, which was, and we learned it very early, question authority, period. Yeah. Question. Do We're not, not take at face level, uh, value what they're telling us. Right. And unfortunately, we have gotten to a point now where we're having such significant censorship with the information that is being disseminated amongst the masses that, you know, this is so funny that you're saying this because last night I watched a 
a, a movie with a friend and it was uh, a based on Vietnam and a true story about a guy delivering beer to his friends in Vietnam. And it, I think the, I think it's called like the greatest beer run ever or something. Uh, I, I think I, I saw, saw it listed. Okay. So I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, this is so relevant to what we're going through today in society. The difference is, is that we didn't have phones and social media and internet to be able to disperse the information. Now we've gotten into a situation where they've created the censorship so the information cannot be dispersed. So we're literally strangleholded, but the technology is working against us in an, in an extremely negative way compared to where we were in the 60s when all of this was happening. Absolutely right. I, I mean, I've never seen the censorship as uh, complete as what's going on right now. It's well, shocking. Well, you totally know that, shocking. You know that our I'm here in California and our governor just signed into law that any health professionals who speak against the COVID narrative pushing holistic alternatives can now have their medical and credentials stripped and be held oh, liable. Oh, oh, yeah. It's actually oh, oh, criminal. Yeah. It's it, They can be criminalized for this now. Yeah, no, no, it, it's it's shocking. What's, what what does that tell me? What that says to the quality of care that we're going to be getting here in the United States with this oh, kind of well, and and you know, let's, the healthcare system in the United States is a travesty. It's a broken it system unless you're very rich and mm -hmm. you can pay for the best, and then you're yep. like, oh, it's a great system. No, it's right. a terrible system based on yep. profits, which is why the pharmaceutical companies are so powerful. And then mm -hmm. you have these people like your governor who are putting in these policies where, you know, they are, are, are essentially throttling people in terms of free speech and a doctor being able to practice medicine the way it should be practiced. Right. Absolutely. With full consent. <laughs> full consent. <laughs> uh, yeah. California is setting a really bad example these days. It's, it's well, really shocking. But the you know we we I understand that they have to take over California because California sets the precedents for what gets accepted throughout the rest of the United States. Absolutely right. Yeah, it's it's been that way for quite a while. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's just been the leader. It was actually the leader in the whole let's just call it health food or nutritional supplement movement. Right. I mean, California yeah. health, Southern California. You know, it was like it was, they came together. Well, it's really interesting because there's such a contradiction that's happening here in this state between, you know, being the frontier and pioneers of the plant movement and whole based eating and, you know, natural foods. And now we've got this whole other system that's completely working against us and it's negating the both. It's creating such diversion between the two. But more importantly, it's creating so much confusion for the consumer. The consumer yeah. has no clue as to where to go from here. Oh, yeah. Well, and part of that is just the way they, the information, how they censor it and stuff. So pretty much people are just confounded. Then they just kind of tune out and they just mm -hmm. carry on. But, but right. you want to talk a little bit about psilocybe mushrooms. Maybe we should segue into that. I would love to if you have time for that. So I want to... So, you know, we've seen this uh, huge surge into the psilocybin... I can't even say it. Psilocybin movement, especially uh, post-COVID, post-COVID, we've seen huge influxes in this. And so my husband had gotten a planter's wart on the bottom of his foot that he had for about five years. 
And with this planner's wart, he used every holistic modality, shoving garlic up in there, trying to cure it that way, you know, using everything. And so I had suggested to him, have you considered microdosing to get rid of the planner's warts? And he was really skeptical at first. And then he kind of did his research and was like, okay, I think I might be open to this. So he did a 30 day microdosing of psilocybin. And by the end of the 30 days, those planter's warts were completely healed and have not come back. And it's been almost a full two years since then. So what's happening here? How is a fungus killing a fungus? <laughs> well, well, look, <laughs> you're talking about something that's a pretty unique uh, uh, situation, <laughs> you know, nobody's ever used them that way in the past. Mm -hmm. and, and look, let, let me say a couple things about microdosing is, is for one, you know, you have to remember a lot of what we're getting, the feedback we're getting is anecdotal. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know what the, the whole, and I'm not saying this applies to your husband or not, but you know, the whole thing with the, um, something being either a, a panacea or something, the, the, effect of believing so know, it's more it it's now maybe he didn't maybe he didn't have that but a lot of people do and, and mm -hmm. then you know and i guess what i feel like is is and again i don't want to speak exactly to him but mm -hmm. we are self-healing if we yes. put our mind to it and, yes. and you know a lot of things you go to the doctor he says don't worry about it you'll be fine you're going oh okay yeah. now you go off and and you're fine um microdosing mm -hmm. is one of those things where all they really have right now is anecdotal information. So we don't know what it does. Um, the dose is really small. Um, mm -hmm. Could that have an overall effect after time? Maybe. Uh, the other thing you have to remember, and maybe the uh, I've seen sometimes the protocol where they say do it for four days, lay off for two or three, start mm -hmm. up again, because you do build up a tolerance. Mm-hmm psilocybin, okay. uh, LSD, these things, you build up a tolerance. So you could be taking every day and by the fifth day or something, you know, if you're taking a high amount, you're going like, oh, I, nothing's really yeah. happening now. Okay. So, so we really don't know. Um, it's, it's a phenomena where unfortunately right now it's more of a money-making phenomena for a lot mm -hmm. of companies. They can put out these small little doses. It's almost like um, homeopathy. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I don't want to tarf homeopathy, but homeopathy is kind of like the opposite of the way I believe mm -hmm. in terms of I believe, okay, we've got a plant. It's got certain compounds in there. I need to get a certain amount of those to get the benefits. Mm -hmm. They kind of go in the other direction. And I, I, I don't know, but that's the different direction than what I believe in. Right. So, so we're the, it's really one of those things where the, uh, the judgment on this is going to have to come much later. It, it's an interesting idea that we could take something like that daily, like a, like a vitamin or like we do right now. I, I take my uh, specific uh, functional mushrooms daily. I mm -hmm. eat mushrooms a lot, mm -hmm. but you know, you do that. And, and I simply believe, because look, if you take, if you take a vitamin, like you take a vitamin C, a vitamin D, you're not gonna say, oh man, I really feel that, it's wonderful. No, <laughs> you take it because you think this is insurance. This is mm -hmm. prevention. This is what we want to do because I believe vitamin D has major benefits to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to make sure uh, that I get enough of it. And if you're in the northern climes like I am up in Canada, well, well, certainly it's pretty important.
Mm-hmm. So, so microdosing, we're going to have to wait to really know if there are true, genuine benefits or whether it's just one of these phenomena that come along and has more of like the placebo. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's really difficult to. The power know, of belief. Uh, well, well, sure. And, and uh, uh, that's the, um, what, are, what do they call that's the uh, placebo effect, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And I'm glad that you brought up this fact that you build up a tolerance because there's a lot of people out there. I've heard, you know, stories of individuals who they're microdosing every day for six months straight. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> I'm not sure that's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know what? We're, we're, in a, we're, in a, we're in a stage now where microdosing is cool. Right. So I want to be with the, I want to be with the cool crowd. I'm going to microdose too. Right. You know, because, yeah. because, you know, because I, I know people who are my peers that have been in this for a long time, they're scientists and so on. And they're just going, you know what? Microdosing is for people that are afraid to take a real dose uh-huh. um, because a real dose is life changing. Uh, a real dose is something. And that's why they're using it in, um, in all sorts of, whether it be psychotherapy or yep. counseling, that's why mm-hmm. they use a significantly high dose. They don't use microdosing. They use a dose that, because what happens when you are taking a powerful dose is that every cell in your body <laughs> is lit up. Mm-hmm. And, and now, and I, I personally think that that experience um, is one of maybe the most healing experiences you could get out there to mm-hmm. be you know, what I call dancing to the rhythm of the universe. Right. Well, it, I mean, in my opinion, with my experiences, it really helps us drop out the ego and kind of step out of our own way so that we can truly extract what it is that we need in order to facilitate the healing moving forward. So, well, yes, you know, I'm, yes. When, when you say a larger dose, you know, are we talking like a gram, two grams, three grams, four grams, five grams to get that medicinal, or is it kind of dependent upon the person and their sensitivity? Well, well you know, sensitivity certainly plays a, a role, but interestingly enough, and I know practitioners who use it, what they, what they do is they say, you know what, we don't really take that into consideration. We okay. give everybody the same amount. It's five grams, fried, five dried grams. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think, well, yeah, I, I you know, because you think, oh, body weight. Here's this, you know, 250-pound man and, and somebody who weighs 125 pounds. You know, do you right. have the same dose? Well, that doesn't, it's kind of counterintuitive. Right. But maybe not. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. But so, so a five-gram dose is kind of what they they have decided upon. And I would say anything from three to five would probably get you pretty lit up. And, and, um, so the problem, the problem I have is that what I find is I have quite a bit of sensitivity. So if I go more than like, let's say two grams at one time, the mucus that I am producing literally becomes so excessive that I've just got leakage coming out everywhere and can, where it actually impacts my respiratory function. So I have to be really careful with trying interesting. to stay in Yeah, those. that's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and that's with, with uh, psilocybe mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Have you so, ever, have you ever tried uh, LSD? Oh yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Anyone who knows me knows all about my LSD days. So (laughs) my senior year of high school, I think I probably dropped acid at least 110 times, if not maybe more. Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah. You're of of that generation because when I was in in high school, no, that was nothing like that was happening in high school. If some of us were actually experimenting occasionally with cannabis, Okay, but no. the whole high school thing didn't really happen until maybe the seventies or something, where people are confronted with that and getting high and doing all that, and it's yeah. like, God, I can't even imagine. No, in the in the early nineties, I was the total druggie. I was that group of people who, you know, was just completely disassociated and using any kind of substance to numb out and cope with life. And and so for me, psilocybin. Uh, I'm sorry, LSD. Yeah, my days of that are well over. We are. We're good. I don't have any desire. I've also done ayahuasca. And for me, ayahuasca was a um, life-changing experience. It's a one and done. I don't feel like I ever need to go back to visit. And when I went into ceremony, I was very um, strategic in terms of the intention that I was setting and what I was hoping to get out of that. And I validated that. So I feel like I'm good. Yeah, it was really amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. I yeah. love to hear those kind of stories of, of kind of life-changing experiences because, yeah. you know, you, you can have those. I mean, you, you aren't necessarily well, people shouldn't build up expectations, but you can have mm-hmm. those. And unfortunately, one of the individuals who was invited to ceremony when I did ended up going into psychosis because they didn't follow the appropriate protocols prior to going into ceremony. Diet is a huge piece of that. And unfortunately, that person went into psychosis and still to this day is in psychosis, um, which is really, really unfortunate. So can we talk about that? Are you like, you know, when a person utilizes these medicinal messages or medicines and has a psychosis event, what is actually happening there? Do you know? Well, no, I don't really know what's happening. But but let me just say this is that. you can be in a state where what's happening to you is so foreign mm-hmm. and uh, without, you know, really maybe the proper attention by attendants mm-hmm. that what really what happens for what I would call a bad trip mm-hmm. is fear. Okay. All of a sudden. And, and back in the sixties, we used to call it uh, a death trip. Because what, what it's like when you're when you're losing your ego, it feels like you're dying. You think, yeah. oh, my God, what's happening to me? This is so foreign. This is so what we would call non-ordinary mm-hmm. that, that I feel like I'm dying. And then all of a sudden, your whole body is in this state of absolute terror. Mm-hmm. And, and so... That, that, you know, it's kind of like the whole thing. The only thing to fear is fear itself. And, and that's because you have to just let go in these mm-hmm. uh, cases. You have to just let it come and not worry about, right. am I going to get out of it? You know, it's always like, am I going to come out of this? You know, and it's like, yes, of course you are. This is just transitory. You're going to come out of it. Just relax. You know, the Beatles had something. They said, um, relax your mind um, um, relax your mind, um, turn off your mind, relax and flow downstream. Mm. Which most of us can't do. Right. And so it's It's, really interesting. It's very difficult. (laughs) 
it's because it's so counterintuitive. We've got all of these individuals who are suffering with anxiety and depression. They're seeking quick fixes. They want a Band-Aid approach. So they go into a medicinal ceremony and they're not prepared. They, they aren't ready to truly let go of that fear. And so that promotes the whole bad trip experience, which then can have some negative consequences psychologically for them. So yeah. with all of that being said, with the psilocybin, is it possible for it to have negative effects on the liver with chronic use? Like these individuals who are microdosing or someone who is taking a five ground dose at one time, can there be negative impacts on liver function? Well, I, I, all I could say is that the um, shaman, the curandera, in Mexico, that is the most famous curandera in the world. Her name is Maria Sabina. She was uh, used, utilizing mushrooms in a regular way uh, for years and years and years and years, high doses. She lived to be 91. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She lived to be 91. Right. <laughs> and look, she lived, she lived back in the mountains of Mexico in an area with reasonably poor sanitation. Mm -hmm. with uh, not central heating in their chilly little casas. Mm -hmm. No, I, I mean, she lived under some very difficult living wow. conditions where life expectancy was probably fairly low. Mm -hmm. so, so the fact that she was taking these things regularly, probably every week she was taking them and large doses of them and, wow. and healing other people, but she lived to be uh, 91. Wow. Wow. So really the takeaway is that we have to evaluate the fear that we're coming into the experience with, because ultimately that's going to be a big variable in the kind of experience that we have. Well, well, yeah. And, and look, one of the things that did come out of the sixties was this whole idea of set and setting mm -hmm. setting where you take them. Is it a safe environment? That, that's like the native American church. What happens? They go in, it's a, a very big uh, TP or something. There's a fire in the center. Uh, mm -hmm. They all gather around the fire um, and they have somebody at the door. You know, it's like, it's like you're doing this at home alone or something. And, and somebody's at the door. Oh my God, who is it? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, no, they have, they have somebody at the door. They have somebody tending the fire. Everybody is safe and feeling normal, but you can't, so that's the setting and, but you can't go into these things and it's like, oh my God, what's happening right now in my relationship or this or that mm -hmm. and, and go, I'm going to go into this and, and see if I can't solve it. No, 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 right. no. You want to go in when everything is smooth and, and you, you're reasonably feel reasonably good about where you are, your mental space. That's really important. If you go in mm -hmm. with a mental space, that's just, you know, the kind of space where you wake up in the middle of the night and that's all you can think about and you can't get mm -hmm. back to sleep and, so right. no, you, you need to be in the proper mental space, the proper physical space to ultimately have uh, a positive experience. Now, that doesn't mean that you always have to, because look, in the 60s, I had a lot of positive experiences and that wasn't the case necessarily. Right. My mental space was always pretty good, but the, the, the setting could be really variable where we were doing it. Yeah, yeah. No, I trust me, I remember a car ride well, where well, six yes. of us if were packed in and... We headed out to the woods. Oh boy, that was quite an experience. And if they're listening, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And they're laughing well, right well, now. <laughs> yeah, not only that, going going to school for God's sakes. It's like yeah. you're high going to school. I mean, oh, I, I, I can't even. 
I dropped acid every morning in homeroom and by sixth hour when it came to typing, I was seeing tracers, which is why I'm a pecker. I never learned how to appropriately type. <laughs> so, but oh, oh so setting Heather, that, that's so funny. So setting that container, right? That's so important. And that's where we're having a lot of irresponsibility that I'm seeing come forward these days in practices. People are just like throwing mushrooms out. They're like, oh, you're depressed. You're anxious here. Take this. Have fun. So do you recommend individuals do their first medicinal plant ceremony utilizing mushrooms by themselves with some sort of guide, someone who's intentionally setting that container and being a, a, a safe space for them to hold for this individual or more of like a group setting? Is there any particular preference? Well, you know, I guess it depends on the person. I think, I think you know, you're talking about sort of optimal Mm-hmm. methods of doing it but you know a lot of a lot of times what people are doing is they're taking small doses recreationally they never approach the kind of real experience so you know it's a party drug for a lot of people and look mm-hmm. i'm not opposed to recreational use i'm really not mm-hmm. but just like with cannabis you need to educate people how to use these things i mean right. that's the the issue in our society is we don't educate people we don't have have examples of people that mm-hmm. have used this. We need more examples like that for right. people to look up. It's just like it's just like alcohol abuse. Right. We haven't been kind of trained or taught. The, the, you know, they should have courses on this. Right. It's just yeah. you know, courses no. on on plant consumption, just like they have have courses on diet, things like that. We need that. Well, And I believe that ultimately with where we're at, we're in a paradigm shift. We're seeing these broken systems start to crumble and we're seeing new systems start to emerge. And, you know, luckily you and I have been on the frontier of that movement and really trying the best we can for as long as we have been, you know, doing what we love so passionately, which is an exciting place to be. I'd rather be in the forefront than in the back, right? Much rather be the leader of the movement rather than being back there. So it's exciting. I think that there is a lot of hope. And I think that ultimately in the future, we are going to see courses on this, you know, especially as we start to validate the evidence of the benefits from a psychological perspective when it comes to brain function. I've got a great example for you. Are you familiar with Aldous Huxley? I am not. Okay. Aldous Huxley was a very uh, um, well-known British writer and philosophy, and he wrote a number of books uh, back in the day. One was called Brave New World. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I am familiar of, with that work. Okay, the other one that he wrote was called Heaven and Hell, which okay. talked about his mescaline experiences. Okay. And then the, the final book that he wrote, which I recommend to everybody, is called uh, Island. Okay. Okay, and, and in this, he was talking about a idyllic, a society, kind of a utopian society. And one of the things he did in this in this book was he said at, at 18, the uh, all of the teenagers went through a ritual uh, initiation based on taking mushrooms oh, wow. and, and 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 doing doing an activity together that knit this group together. But you can imagine, I mean, what if we had initiations like that in our societies? Oh, my God. The intimacy. 
the the dropout of the ego, the compassion that could come in, the love that could be cultivated and carried okay. on. <gasps> well, well, listen, in this book, and again, it was a, a subtropical area, he had birds flying around, like you can imagine a parrot flying around. And what the, the parrot, as it flew around, it would stop, and then it would say, Karuna, Karuna. Karuna means compassion. Oh, you can't make this shit up. You can't make this shit up. <laughs> I highly recommend this book to you and your I, listeners. Aldous Huxley, Island. It was a classic book. Most of us read it back in the 60s. It was really an important book. And it set up sort of a structure for a model, an example of this is how it could be if we mm -hmm. really wanted it. Uh, I'm definitely going to be getting that as soon as we wrap things up today. <laughs> but my gosh, Jeff, you literally have just been so such a, a breath of fresh air. You know, really, this has been an incredibly powerful interview for me. I am sure that the listeners like myself are really mind blown and definitely rethinking their whole, you know, mushroom adaptogenic approach and what what to be looking for and what not to be looking for i know myself i'm definitely interested in becoming uh more hands-on with with doing some growing of my own i think that's something that i would definitely benefit from from doing i'm really trying to transition to being as you know sustainable as possible so every little way makes a huge difference right well, thank, well i i really have enjoyed our conversation heather it's been really Great, and, and you've got great energy, great intellect, and, and I really appreciate your history and where where you've come from and all Thank of this. You. And I, I'm happy you're out there spreading your message because it's it's really important. I mean, it's the whole thing with podcasting is I think it's just a wonderful medium and, it, Absolutely. and reaching people and, and providing them with uh, this type of information. Absolutely. Well, we really appreciate your expertise, you sharing your own personal stories. So where can the audience find you? How can they connect with you? Well, um, our website is namex.com, N-A-M-M-E-X.com. And we have a menu on the website that is says uh, education. Okay. Lots of great information, as well as slideshows that I put together on how we grow our mushrooms, how we process them. It's really interesting. So go there, please. And then so we, can we also have a... We can purchase well, we can, we, we're a business to business. Namex is we sell raw materials, but we have a retail division called okay. Real Mushrooms. Okay. So if you go to realmushrooms.com, that's where you could buy the product. I think you get 25% off the first purchase. And okay. they also have a ton of really great information. You know, so much of what I do is educational. You know, I'm not here to sell products. I'm just here to educate people because and that's I want how them I to feel. get the best mushroom product available. Mm. I want them to understand it. They don't have to buy from us. Buy, but be sure you know what you're buying or you could be buying something that's not even a mushroom. So mm -hmm. that's really what, what my purpose is to educate people. I love that it's very much aligned with my mission as well. And I look forward to potentially collaborating with you again in the future if you're open to that. That would be excellent. Thanks for listening to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Do me a favor, and if you loved this episode, please go leave a review. Reviews help make sure that this content reaches more people so that we can continue to heal as a collective. 
Remember to take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram at heatherbarbierrdn for a 15% discount on the Retrain Your Brain program. See you next time.